Hello everyone, welcome to the Melting Pot podcast. I'm your host Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is as a result of my hunger for optimizing business performance, scaling up organizations, corporate culture, customer addiction, building high performing teams, along with a few other obsessions along the way. I've spent the last several years working for and with some of the most successful top performing companies in the world. And this podcast is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a high quality business and live a more fulfilling life. If you enjoy the podcast, you can find more information on today's episode and other topics at dominicmonkhouse.com. Today I'm talking to Adam Fairhead. He's in Florida, I'm in Wiltshire. And I'm talking to him about purpose or cause. He runs a digital impact business. So he's helping clients understand what their cause is, what their mission is, what purposes drives their business. Helping them understand which people or person that that resonates with and then how to take that to market through a website or email marketing or other campaign vehicle. And so that's his niche. His niche isn't tech or healthcare. He works for and has the biggest impact with businesses that are seeking to change the world. So we talk about how he does that, what his process is. He's written a book. If you listen through to the end, there's a, there's a link where you can register for a free copy of the book when it comes out in March. Talks us through the process that he goes through, the coaches that he has on staff and what they do with clients to help them get their message ready and then how to take it to market. I found it fascinating. And already my head is spinning with what could I do differently in, with my own website and my own marketing work. So I hope it has the same impact for you. Enjoy. My name is Adam Fairhead. I am dialed in today from Clearwater, Florida. I hail from Staffordshire, England. And I run a communication team called the Fairhead Group, specifically the Fairhead Creative Team, where we help difference makers make a difference through better communication. Okay. And what, when you say make a difference, what make a difference for your, your business, the world, your clients? We've noticed something of a mindset shift which has been happening where consumers are becoming increasingly intolerant to businesses without cause, number one. And number two, the middle of the market is becoming an increasingly dangerous place to play. So if you are the best in your field, you're disrupting your field, you're changing the game, that's a great place to be. And you owe it to your companies to communicate effectively to make sure that everybody knows that difference is happening. Or if you are cause-driven from a social good perspective, a give-back perspective and that you partner with or are an NGO or nonprofit, then you owe it to your organization to communicate effectively so that you can make more of the difference that you're trying to create, more of an impact to your market or your communities. So it's a mindset of difference making, of taking ownership of a social problem, making it your own and using capitalism to solve it. And is your use of the word cause, is that the same, if I might say, purpose-driven organisation? Are we using those in the same way, do you think? Yeah. yeah. And so in, in your business then, if, is your niche purpose-driven organizations or do you work with NGOs as opposed to sort of commercial organizations? Uh, yeah, the main body of people that we've been serving are the cause-driven organizations. So 
whether they are a non-profit or they are a for-profit with givebacks or who, who have assumed the responsibility of, of another NGO or problem. The rules are the same. The messaging that they need to put out into the market is becoming increasingly mission-focused, heart-focused, emotive, personal. And the market's responding well to personal, heartfelt, emotive language, more so than it used to. Whether you're a cause-driven organization or you aren't, if you're a tech company selling a SaaS product, for instance, there are plenty of people who will quite happily hide behind the curtain and offer the service in the way that they always have. But the people who are standing out nowadays, we've been finding, certainly with the work we've been doing, are the companies that are willing to tell a story, are willing to communicate more effectively, more clearly, more succinctly, and more personally with their audience, so that a connection can be made, trust can be made, a relationship can be formed, and then you, upon that rapport, more business gets done. When I'm working with clients, they, I was with a client yesterday, they've got a fantastic story, and they're nervous about telling it in an emotional way. You know, I was having that conversation with them yesterday, and they look at me like I'm a lunatic. I started saying, why are you in business? What is it all about? They're a corporate finance house. And the partner said, we really want to help the people that we work for get the most money for their business because it's their life's work. And we get a real kick out of making sure that, because we do this better than other people and we get a kick out of making sure that they get the most money possible because they're only going to do it once. And I went, well, it doesn't say that on your website. You, I come to your office and I don't feel that. And everything else about your business doesn't say that. They're just sort of looking at me going, ooh, we're not sure. <laughs> but we want to tell the story in that way. They're afraid of it too. They have a message. Some of their competitors might not. If they do, they'll be afraid of telling their story too. Oh, their competitors are much bigger businesses with no purpose other than driving dollars through the machine. And so you're absolutely right. They do have a... They have, a, they have an opportunity. So there's nothing in it for me. I can't, I don't benefit if they benefit. I just think they've got such a good story that they're missing a trick by not telling it. How do you help clients like that? You know, do you get to the point where people have decided they need to tell a story and you help them unlock that story? Or are you, are you still evangelizing for this as a way to go to market? It's both really. Some organizations that we work with already know they have an amazing story and that they need to tell it. They've been trying to tell it and it's not resonating. And so we help them shore it up and get it clearer so that people will actually understand it. Or it's organizations that are saying, I don't really know how to increase sales revenue, impact donations, investment, whatever it is we're looking for. Can you help? And then we have to then dig out what the story is if there is one, much in the way that you've described just a moment ago. They were sitting on one. It never occurred to them to share it with anybody. So then we have to go through the process of emotionally preparing them to be vulnerable, to share why they're in business as an organization, and then putting words to that so that they can communicate it in a way which makes sense to their target audience. Do you think it's easier to do that work in, in the US than in the UK? This is massively stereotyping now, but there we are. <laughs> I find that a US audience is a little more responsive to sensationalism. Being a Brit, I repel sensationalism. I don't like it. I have the cynicism of my roots to uh, <laughs> thank for that. <laughs> but at the same time, England, we're at a funny time as a country. 
I think, aren't we? And that all of this get our sovereignty back communication and language about where we're going and who we are, who we are as a nation, as a body of people. That's all quite emotive. We're in an emotional sort of place. And I think that supporting a cause, there's just as much opportunity there as there has been in the US. A European mindset I find stereotypically is more interested in the group, in the whole, rather Mm -hmm. than about the independent prosperity of a person. So in that way, the European market, an English market, is more likely to respond to an emotive bit of language than a US one will. The US one's going to need to see what's in it for them. The UK one's going to need to see what's in it for the group, for the country, for people like us culturally. Ah, okay. That's a subtle distinction, isn't it, in terms of the way in which you then help the client with the messaging? That's it, yeah. The advertising that you'll see online of people hitting you up saying that you can make another $3 million by the time you're done in the bathroom. Those sensational types of message won't land on a UK audience. They'll roll their eyes and think, shut up. Um, Whereas (laughs) there's much less of that. He's like, oh, really? But I could? Really? It is a subtle difference, but it's just acknowledging who you're talking to, isn't it? And making a message that responds to that person and what they're like. And so I'm much like talking to an individual. You know, you get to know them, what they like, what they don't like, how they talk and all the rest of it, and you respond in kind. Uh How do you, one of the things you said there was either they've got a story or they haven't. Do you fail sometimes because they just, there is no cause or there's no purpose or there's no sort of authenticity at the core of the business? I think really, and I say this because this is my view of doing business really, is if we don't feel as though we can pull a message out that's going to be compelling, heartfelt, authentic and powerful, then we don't start because then we're just taking money for no conceivable return for them. So there's a whole process that we would go through as a company out of the gate, trying to figure out what that language is. And within two or three hours of talking, we'll know, we'll know exactly where we would want to go with it and if it's worth pursuing or not. It's a responsibility, I think, for in any industry, right? You need to see if it's going to work for them before you start doing business. Yeah. So I'm intrigued. What's, what's the process of preparing them for vulnerability? I would say that we just have to really look at the marketplace that we're operating in now. If we look at millennials and their buying decisions and how they're becoming a larger part of the marketplace, if we look at how culturally their mindset and their belief system is permeating the rest of the marketplace too, we want to see companies that have sustainable written on shampoo and anything, right? We want to see that it's, it's supporting an underprivileged community. Or so. It's everywhere now. It's a thing that's happening. And if your shampoo is just as good as the next person's shampoo, theirs supports building schools in an underprivileged community and yours just puts it towards an extra bottle of bubbly at the next shareholders meeting, then they're going to be the one that gets the purchase. So selfishly, it's a great model. Uh, selflessly, it means that your work is going to have a greater meaning. You will feel it within your own organization and within yourself as a business owner. Your team will feel it. They'll feel more of a a social obligation and mission behind the work that they're doing. It'll build a stronger sense of team and camaraderie within the organization. Any way you slice it, it's got advantage. Is there a, because somebody like Tom Shoes, there's a direct connection between the business that they're in and the sort of charitable giving that they do. Mm. Are you suggesting that if you're just 
a business that does something, if you adopt a cause, you can sort of add a veneer of cause or purpose to your business by supporting some charitable cause or another? Or, or do you feel that to really work, you have to have a connection between something that's sort of deep at the foundation of the business, a charity that's, uh, for some reason, there's a connection between the charity picked by the business and or the course picked by the business and the owner or the founder? I think that it has to be authentic. I think people can smell inauthenticity on people nowadays more so than ever, given the rise of social media and things. You can't keep it up if you're lying about it. Yeah. Whereas if you do care, then it becomes quite easy to talk about. You can just rattle on about it all day and it will keep flowing because it's something that you're very inherently passionate about. Yeah. You can adopt a problem if you don't have one already. Anybody can do that. We had a conversation with somebody the other day. I'm not sure what cause to pursue. I'm not sure what idea to pursue for my business. I'm not sure what new product to develop. I'm not sure what short market to get into. Any questions like that? The answer usually for me is think about what pisses you off <laughs> and then go and attack it. Go and solve that problem or go and take responsibility for that problem. Yeah, I, just, I was just thinking, thinking back to some charitable causes that we've, that businesses have been involved in have adopted in the past or, or been involved in. And there's always been some connection to some member of somebody in the team or some employee that then people can rally around. You've got a book coming out, haven't you? Yeah, there's a book coming out that's talking about a lot of the principles that we've advocated for within coaching conversations with companies, cause-driven or otherwise. We've written down what we would be talking about, the structure, the blueprint, who to be talking to, how to figure out what to be saying to them, different blueprints that we would use to get the right kind of narratives written, depending on who you're talking to and what your relationship is with them. So we've been writing all of that down and turned it into a book. What's the rationale for that? Is it to have a bigger impact? Is it lead gen? What's the... Is it Why did we make it? Yeah. It's twofold, really. On the one hand, not everybody knows who we are. Cause-driven or otherwise, not everybody knows who we are. And the more ways that we can preach this message of communicate better if you're doing good work, you owe it to the market. I remember a mentor said to me once, if you don't do it, somebody half as good and half as nice will. <laughs> and that stands true for this sort of thing as well. If you're disrupting your market, if you've got a cause that you've taken energy of, if you want to communicate better, sell more, make more impact, then this is where it starts. It's figuring out specifically who you're talking to with more specificity than you have before. So putting it into a book means that it's something that anybody can get for seven quid. They don't have to necessarily know who we are. It's out on Amazon, it's out on here, it's out on there. That's one side of it. The other side, of course, is the more people that, that start to communicate in that way, the more conversations we might have with them and thus the more we can help them drive it further forward. We've got coaches on the team that, you know, that help people go through these exercises and get their language right. So the book will, will create introductions for us, we hope, uh, to help people get their communication right. Are your coaches salespeople? Mm -mm, nope. An example could be a coach. One of the coaches is a uh, marketer and copywriter on the team. Uh -huh. So they write this language all day every day another is somebody who has a history in fashion marketing 
So she would be on the coaching calls whenever there is a sustainable or ethical fashion company looking to increase their communication okay. you know, or health or whatever, whatever space, whatever niche that you're in. The hope is to be able to pair them with a coach that one, understands how to communicate better these principles and two, knows the space really well. Ah, okay. There isn't a salesperson. It's a sort of a conversation with the coach. If the coach thinks, if the client thinks the coach can help them, then off you go. If you've seen the principles that we give out for free, well, this is part of the process and out for free on our site and all of them in this book and they want to move forward, then we'll pair them with a coach. They'll get the language definitively correct. What they should be saying, what parts of their language they should be moving forward with. And then if they want to have us help them express it in the form of a nice visceral website or actually writing the words for them or creating their advertising, using that messaging and things, then that's what keeps us solvent. So I've read the book and I've, I've had a look at your website and I'm just interested because you talk about the speed with which the site has to load, the low attention span, the short time that you have to have an impact. Do you think that's about copy or is that about images or is it both? I think it's the dance between both of them, to be honest. Right. It's a conventional website would suggest that you need to have 87.5 web pages or with a little bit of information on rather like a jigsaw that you give to somebody. You see if you can figure out what we do. And if it's for you and then give them 15 minutes to try and figure it out. And if they can't, then they won't. <laughs> Conversely, we're in a world now where people scroll. You open Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you just start scrolling for content, for things that are visually interesting and have something interesting to say. So if a site is constructed in a way which mirrors that sentiment, where clicking is committing and scrolling is for merely the curious, then all the page needs to do is keep you scrolling. And for that, it needs to be visually stimulating and the copy needs to be spot on. The click can come when you've given them something that they want to dive into and take action on. Yeah, so, you're, so you think most people are wasting their money with the websites that they have? I would say that for most industries, for most offers, most websites are basking in the majesty of themselves rather than just trying to serve people, making a love letter where it's written specifically to a particular kind of person saying, hey, look, I, I know where you're at. I get the problem that you've got. Maybe we've even been there ourselves. And we're just gonna sit with that for a minute, understanding your problem, understanding where you'd like to be, putting something out in front of you to suggest there is a bridge between problem land and solution land, if you want it, no hard sell. There's a mission behind why we actually built this bridge. Here's why we built this bridge. It's really important that we built this bridge because if you want to cross the bridge, then you can take the first step, 10 steps along that bridge at no cost at all. It's our gift to you. Come on board. Water's lovely. Having a service-oriented, one-page, scrollable narrative, we found just has a profound effect on the way that people engage with the content, how many people comprehend and understand what the company is about because it was about the reader for the most part, rather than about the company. And you know what? I find that absolutely fascinating. I'll sit down often with clients or prospective clients. And one of my questions to them might be, who is your core customer? And I've had people say, ah, well, we don't have one customer. We have, they, what they end up doing is describing they do anything for everybody. 
and they would be completely incapable of solving, you know, building a one-page website for a particular customer. But that's at the heart of why they're not attracting anybody. There's loads of research that says if you get niche and you get specific, you're more attractive, you know. If you had a problem with your knee, you'd go to a guy who was a knee specialist, not somebody who was a... You'd want to get recommended from your doctor to a specialist as soon as you possibly could. And it's just that. It's just fascinating. You know, they, and I can see what happens. They, they start a business and there's a bit of revenue from this and there's a bit of revenue from that and there's a bit of revenue from this and they don't want to... At its heart, there's a fundamental th- disconnect which says we don't get enough inbound inquiries or not enough people come looking for us and therefore we have to feel as though we've set the trap as broadly as possible. And in that is just... Anybody who is sober and warm-blooded can can enter that trap and get what they want. (laughs) That's right. And then, you know, if anybody clicks on their website and anybody else's, the other guy will just look like more of a specialist. It's just fascinating. But some people are just so scared to change up. And that's why you see startups winning against big companies because... You know, the startup's got a niche of a niche of a niche and it's all they do. And so they're expert at it. And, you, you know, their customers feel this connection to them and maybe they're on a mission somehow. And the bigger companies just, you know, it's a bit of a bit of a bit of a subdivision and the people in it sort of don't care. You know, what's funny, though, that we found usually when we go through those exercises, they know who the audience is and they know what to say. The problem isn't usually a knowledge gap. It's just an organization of that information and a little bit of bravery to release things that don't fit. So this process has no silver bullet, no super hidden secret that you can only access with a $47 ebook or whatever it is. It's simply organizing the information that people already know and putting it into a structure that works. They already know who they're going to be targeting. They just need a structure to bring that information to the surface. They already know what to say. They just haven't had the blueprint, the the structure to put those words out there in a way which is going to be coherent and something that people can resonate with. It is a big fear thing. It's a huge fear thing. They could do it on their own if they had the structure and the wherewithal to uh, say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. And that fear is that fear that they would be doing something in their market that nobody else is doing. I would say there's a big part of that, yeah. We enter a marketplace, don't we? And we look at what everybody else in the industry is doing. Oh, well, that's how we do this, so we'll do it like that. (laughs) That's probably how they did their first website. Looked at who they thought five competitors were and cut and paste the bits they liked from each of those, and there's the first version. Exactly, and this is what our offer should be, and this is how we describe ourselves, and these are the colours that we're supposed to use. And we're supposed to talk about ourselves with a royal we and in third person and all these other rules. It becomes scripture for an industry to do things in a particular way, rather than instead starting with a person and saying, this person over here, Fred, we love Fred. He's absolutely brilliant. He has a really big problem in this such and such an area, though. And we're going to go over to Fred. We're going to go sit on the step and talk to him for a few minutes. Just be there for him like a human being and help him maybe find his path forward. And then product development becomes, what else does Fred need? Rather than let's think of some disruptive innovation in the B2B solution provider, something, something esoteric nonsense. It just becomes helping Fred. Yes, oh, it's funny. I I remember uh, some years ago when we took part in an award, one of the other sort of finalists was Johnny Bowden, the sort of British family clothing catalog. And 
they had found that there was a disconnect between their children's wear, their men's wear, and their ladies' wear, in as much as the target groups had diverged. And so no longer were you trying to sell multiple clothes to different members of the same family. So they, they created a storybook of the family. I think they were called the Richmonds, and it's mum, dad, two kids, the drive of Volvo. They've got, they live in London. They've got a place in the Cotswolds. And they did this whole, this is the story of our family. And I remember it, it still stuck with me as the sort of the best example. Because quite often when people say, we're going to do some marketing personas, I start to feel like I'm going to lose the will to live. But in theirs, they had this storybook of the family. And they said to everybody in, in the business, look, if this family wouldn't wear these clothes, it doesn't go in the catalogue. This is who we serve, which is, you know, that you're, you know, Fred. Um, but in this case, Fred was a family. So whenever we hear persona development in any company's language, persona development is it's almost synonymous with intellectual entertainment. Now, we've, we've, all of our bank accounts are full. We don't know what to do. Let's do persona development rather than starting with and saying, you know, who's our Fred? Who's our Julia? Who are they? And how can we love them better? It's not intellectual attainment at all. Then it becomes the very foundation for everything that you ever say from then on out, just as you've described. Well, and I also think in the, I spend an amount of time coaching tech businesses. And often what I see in tech businesses actually the problem it manifests itself in another way, which is that somebody really likes this technology. Or at its core, there may well have been solving a problem for which there's a technology solution. But then people become obsessed about the technology and being smarter or faster or better or having more widgets. And they've completely lost sight of Fred and Fred's problem. So they're spending time developing a thing that they think is interesting because they're an engineer and not that whether Fred cares or Fred would use it. And then you get these bits of the application that just don't work for Fred anymore because that's not his problem or that's not how he works or what he wants to do with it. And, and then it's a sales and marketing problem. How do we sell this to more people? Which is just completely the wrong way around. It should be like, what was Fred's problem? How do we, are there enough Freds? Because if not, let's not bother. And if there are, let's solve Fred's problem better than anybody else. As opposed to here's a smart bit of technology, let's take it to market. Or saying Julia over here has had such a rough time of it and there are so many Julias and they can't get a break. So we're going to support and love on Julia. How can we support Julia? Well, we're going to support Fred. We're going to do business with Fred. We're going to solve Fred's problems and a portion of the proceeds are going to go to Julia. And if Fred wants to help Julia too with the transaction, with the business, with solving his problems, then all the better for it. If Fred loves Julia, if we love Julia, let's help Julia together by us solving your problem first, rather than thinking about what, you know, well, we love Drupal, so we're going to use Drupal software development, dot, dot, whatever it is, right? Forget Drupal. Think about Julia and Fred. Yeah. So your, your business, you give a proportion of your profit to uh, solving the problem of people trafficking? Why that? Earlier when I said, think about what pisses you off and go try solve it. For me, it was human trafficking and sex slavery. Upon realizing how, how much of an issue it was, I learned that it's the second biggest illegal trade behind drugs. It's that big. I, did, I had no idea it was that big. We never hear about it in the news. I thought that we abolished that years ago. Right? <laughs> it's a tremendously prevalent problem. It's something which... It's permeated industry, it's permeated armed services, it's permeated the entire planet. 
and it's disgusting. When I had first heard about it, I heard um, a lady uh, give a preach and she was talking about some of the work that she was doing in the human trafficking and sex slavery space. And from then that became my Julia. And the work that we've done in the marketplace has been for Freds who also understand and empathize with they can get excited about the fact that by working with us, they're going to be helping Julia. So that's really where it came from for us. It was, it was a problem which we couldn't not do something about. And the team that we've developed, wonderful team, so proud of them all. They're all very, very talented people, but they're also sold out and massively in love with Julia. And I think that that's one of the, one of the reasons that people get excited about the work that we do. One, because we understand who they are, and two, Julia is the one who's going to benefit from it. Do you give money to particular charities or do you end up, uh, I know there's some work where, you know, if you can find some connection with the victim that you can actually help, the, the Julia, the person as opposed to the persona, then is it that direct connection or is it just money to some people that you know are helping? There's two things. One, there is a, a charity, uh, an Australian charity called the A21 Campaign. I think it's a21.org, definitely worth checking out, who do a marvellous work in that space. So we help with that in that we send a portion of all revenue to those guys. And we also have, at the time of recording this, I am deep involved in having lots and lots of different conversations with people from all walks of, of that industry. So whether they have suffered from it, whether they have been on the front lines of trying to solve it, whether they're investors, whether they are in recuperation and recovery, to get a sort of a 360 CAT scan of the space with a view to allow us as a team to contribute our, our marketing minds, our design minds, uh, sort of and some entrepreneurial thinking to the space as well as just writing checks. We want to be more involved. There's those two projects going on at the same time at the moment, yeah. Fantastic, so if people, what's the best way to get a hold of you? If people want to get a hold of you? Sure, if you want to get a hold of me, we've got adamfairhead.com. That's my blog I write every day. We've got fairhead.net is the main homepage for all of the work that we're doing at the moment. So from there, people can have a look at some of the projects that we're running. They can have a look at some of the services they've got if they want to get their messaging right. For instance, we do a, a free coaching session to get them started along with giving them all the worksheets that they need. So they can get that from in there. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, search me out, you'll find me and we can chat. Okay. If you were to go back in time, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? I think that, honestly, the biggest thing that I would do is I would have advocated for difference makers earlier. I actually spent um, a couple of years in ministry work before starting this, as I had felt a calling to help make some sort of, of contribution, some difference beyond the dollar alone, to focus on a different kind of conversion rate, if you will. We did good work with the time spent there, but ministry needs religious orientation to create results whereas capitalism just needs people doing business, right? Capitalism has a reputation for being quite selfish, but I think that that's going to be changing. And I've been investing all of my energy 
in that wave of how companies are adopting more of an emotive cause-driven attitude or a more of a personal better articulated attitude i would have gotten into this earlier when i felt that it was happening i waited a good couple of years before i started talking about it before we started building products before we started building a team so i would have liked to have had those those years back <laughs> if, I were, if i was to rewind time yeah i was I, you know what as you were speaking i was just thinking how nice it would be to only work with companies that were making a difference as opposed to taking their money to potentially make them more money it must be very satisfying yeah it is and even if it's an example could be a cybersecurity firm that approached us it doesn't sound particularly stimulating or cause driven but it turned out that they had been proactively every year supporting with their profits equipping veterans with some apparatus that they needed post war if they've been injured or wounded or what have you it hadn't occurred to them to communicate that they'd just been talking about it stuff rather than extending to the market that they are helping protect organizations and in doing so they're helping to protect those who protected us i was just thinking we were talking earlier about the difference in culture between the uk and the us and there is that sort of reticence in the uk potentially to talk about you know the charitable work you're doing because then you've made it sort of part of your pitch as opposed to keeping it a secret do you know that sort of if you make it a thing then you're doing it on purpose to try and make it part of your commercial pitch right and that's the danger i think it, now we can't just see it, to use those shampoo bottles again as an example we can't just put on the side of a shampoo bottle we're sustainable we're eco friendly because everybody says that now now we have to be specific the yeah. fakers are being called out how are you sustainable i don't know it was a word we were told to put on the bottle <laughs> to sell more stuff you know now you've got to actually stand by what you do rather than just saying it what sort of impact do people see when they adopt this approach what are some of your sort of performance stats been it varies depending on sector on industry but the general trends are that people who approach these companies say we get it they come out of the gate saying we get what you're about we understand what you're about there's no i thought that you're kind of doing such and such a thing can you explain again for me please what it is you actually do those conversations go away so clarity is there yeah and there's more of a a sense of i think camaraderie with those that you serve it's not just a buyer seller relationship it's more of a partnership together we're solving our problems and together we're solving that problem over there as well which is just another another layer of relational alignment i think going on is your book out on amazon now it's going out in march okay. so i have i have got a page that i've had a spin up ahead of uh-huh. us chatting fairhead.net/monkhouse okay and if people who are listening go to that page they can stick their name in it their email in it and when the book is out we'll send them a free copy that's fantastic that's very generous of you thank you on the subject of books what three books or one book depending on how much of a reader you are do you think people should read books that have had an impact on you or that you give or yeah well one of them i would say marketing isn't about you 
the one that I've just recently written, which you're going okay. to have for free. <laughs> I would recommend reading that. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that Blue Ocean Strategy is a wonderful book. It's got all manner of different indexes and blueprints and strategies and methodologies to help you better understand your place in the market and how to pull out what makes you special and let that bubble up to the surface. So those okay. books together, I think, work quite well in so much as one of them will help you determine what sets you apart and the other will show you how to communicate it. The third one, I would say Letters from a Stoic by Seneca the Younger. Just a lot of very real lessons on, on how to live. Um, I find that the stoic mindset extends itself quite nice into business and entrepreneurial life. It lets you get over things quickly. It lets you not sweat what's going to happen tomorrow. It lets you focus on the now. Um, there's, there's a lot of really nice principles in that book. I'd say reading some of Seneca's work would be one. That's fantastic. Adam, thank you very much indeed for your time today. Pleasure is all mine, mate. Glad we did it. All this information and more can be found at dominicmonkhouse.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find show notes, additional reading and links related to this episode. You can also find my blog and the past editions of the Melting Pot newsletter. The simplest thing to do is to sign up to my subjectively, not crap, once a week newsletter, where I'll update you on what I've been up to, the most interesting articles I've read, and all things relating to scaling up, high-performing teams, net promoter score, company culture, etc. Social, you can find me on Twitter at Dom Monkhouse and LinkedIn at Dominic Monkhouse. LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me and share your questions and comments. Thanks for listening. <laughs>